I've been making Tim watch Hitchcock movies. So I in the past, like, like a lot more fun. Yeah, he fell asleep during Shadow of a Doubt, but we've watched I Shadow of a Doubt. Uh, Rope, which I thought he would hate, but he actually kind of liked. We watched The Birds at his suggestion, which I didn't like as much as I thought I would. Yeah, and then we watched um, Psycho, which he liked, and Shadow of a Doubt, which he fell asleep like 20 minutes in. I have seen Rear Window. Rear Window's so which good. I like how the twist is that he's just fucking They're right. super right, yeah. yeah. Um, which is not what I expected the twist to be, but no, I loved it. No, it's perfect. Um, the Birds, I think, was forever ruined by Birdemic. I just, I honestly don't find Birds scary, so I don't find the Birds scary. This is Birdemic. I think everyone needs to watch Birdemic. It's a really important movie in this world. Okay, so, like, obviously the graphics in Birdemic are terrible, but there's a scene in The Birds where, like, they're in a living room and, like, the birds are attacking, like, coming through, like, the chimney in the fireplace, and it's obviously just, like, one layer of people running around in the living room and then a layer layered over it of just, like, birds, Birds. and it looks so fake, and I thought of Birdemic. (laughs) All right, guys. Hello and welcome. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Saturday the 14th, coming out to you on... Saturday the 14th. Yay! And it's our 14th episode. Yeah, there's a lot of 14s here, and I dig it. It's kind of cool. I kind of like this number more than I've ever liked the number 14. Yeah. I've never particularly had an affinity for it. I feel like 14 was a good year for me. I don't know why. Honestly, it was kind of a transition from my super emo to my kind of a normal person phase. I was just weird all the way through, so it wasn't a big transition. 2014 was a good year for me. We were 23 then? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that was a good year. Yeah. I was at Paramount. That's when I met Tim. Oh. That was a good year. That was nice. It's, I'm sure it was. Yeah. I played a lot of Quidditch that year. That's good for you, because you like Quidditch so much. Exactly. I ran a half marathon in 2014. Oh. Yeah. Nice. Good things happened. I think I had a better 2014 than actually being 14. Uh, same. Yeah, no, I, being 14. I was a very awkward 14-year-old. I recently rediscovered one of my old journals from, like, high school, like, freshman year. Actually, probably when I was 14. Oh, my God. I don't know how I had any friends. I don't know who talked to me. Anyway, speaking of things that we did when we were teenagers, we are going to talk about a movie that I was obsessed with in high school. And I am still obsessed with to this day. And that movie is Alfred Hitchcock's masterpiece, Psycho! Psycho! What up? Your neighbors probably hate us, Maddie. Um, luckily my neighbors do not hate us because they are plenty loud okay. at their own time. That's good. That's good. I always feel bad. I have two I'm, very, I don't have very a sweet neighbors just... on exactly one side. I'm going to be real sad to have neighbors on both sides very soon when oh. I move. In a different apartment in this same exact complex. You know, I really like my complex. It's a good complex. I'm just moving over one building and up two floors. Nice. Which means I don't have to pay for movers. I just have to buy beer for friends. I'll take it. You can buy me beer. Nudge, nudge. That's fine. I don't care. Perfect. I'll do anything for beer. That's not true. I won't. I feel like that sends the wrong image. Anyway, we need to talk about Psycho. (laughs) It's so late at night. It is. We're recording this so much later than normal. We actually watched the entire movie right before recording this. Yes. Which means... For you guys. For accuracy. Because we love you. We don't usually record at 11 at night. We don't. But we'll make an exception to make sure that we get this episode to you on time. We will. Because if it's not out... On Saturday the 14th, then none Who of our intro makes any sense. None of our lives make any sense. That either. My life already doesn't make that much sense. That's fine. All right. does. Psycho came out in 1960. As I'm sure you guys know, because I said it like five minutes ago, it was directed by the inimitable Alfred Hitchcock. It stars Janet Leigh, who is actually the mother of Jamie Lee Curtis. Which is great, because they both get to be scream queens. They are both and the ultimate scream queens, Show their boobs. 
Well, actually, fun fact. While you do see some out-of-focus boobs in the oh, shower scene. Are those not hers? They're not hers. She had a body double for all oh, of the shower man. scenes. Oh, man. Of and course And in fact, Hitchcock included a shot of the body doubles, but in the cut that he sent to the censors, because you have to, like, run everything and by the censors. And they said, hell nah. And they were like, no, because there was a bunch of other stuff that he wanted to keep in, so he just, like, threw oh, stuff so he that threw he knew. Oh, so he threw stuff that yeah. he knew they'd forced to cut, so that he could keep... That's yeah. actually really he was like, yeah, you can cut out her butt if we keep the toilet, so... First Her ever toilet. It's not allowed to be shown on This the, is what? the first toilet that was ever shown uh, on television or on, on screen. What's wrong with toilets? I, they're crass? I don't know. That, that's so weird. Yeah. Very different social mores. Yeah. It also stars Anthony Perkins, Vera Miles, John Gavin, Martin Balsam, and it is based on a book by Robert Block. I need to read that book. I, ha- I, I really like reading book that came before movies. Yeah, I think it's interesting and to see how much changes. I try and do it before I see the movie. I don't know why, but I always try and go in that order. That's smart. Um, and I didn't in this particular case. Yeah. Sometimes I like to see the movie first and then read the book, because I feel like if the book is better than the movie, it doesn't ruin the movie. It just what? makes the book better. But how do you know which one's better before you consume one of them? Media? Uh, either way, it's like Critics if the book millions. is worse, then it's like, okay, well, I still have the movie. And then if the movie is worse than it's like okay well I still enjoyed the movie when I watched it because like okay so I watched The Shining after I read the book The Shining and I had a hard time enjoying the movie The Shining because I liked the book so much and I felt like that they left stuff out. That's interesting see I like consuming the original piece of media more first I think because I like to see how someone took that piece of media and chose to interpret it. Alright why don't you get us started on the budget in the box office Yeah so this movie was made for just over $800,000 which is a lot of money for the 1960s it was, especially since most of it was actually funded by Alfred Hitchcock himself. He Which had is to pay. Impressive. Yeah, he had to pay for the rights to the book. He had to like pay for I think a lot of the salaries of the people involved because Paramount was kind of like I no like we're not. Gonna so do interesting. Anything. They had no desire to make this movie. And they really was didn't one step of their in. Highest profiting movie. Yeah, they didn't step in really until the distribution where they were like, okay, I guess we'll like distribute it. But this movie ended up globally making fifty million dollars, and that came out to. In the 30s of millions domestically, which, so just domestically, if you account for inflation, it made around $400 million, which is actually better than the fifth Harry Potter movie when it came out in box office. So it's interesting to see how well it really did, considering how scandalous it was at the time. Yeah. I mean, people loved it. And I mean, it didn't get like perfect reviews. Like there were definitely people who were like, oh, this is gross. But I mean, it did incredibly. It's still a classic to this day. So we start Psycho off uh, during a sexy lunchtime it's trip. It's so sexy. It's in very Arizona, sexy. Where we it's hot. We don't know if they're not wearing very much clothing because it's really hot outside. It is Phoenix. It's probably like 100 degrees. They're not wearing very much clothing because they just banged on her lunch break. <laughs> That's probably true. They're in a hotel room. They're making out on the bed. You can make out. He's putting his clothes back on. Okay, yeah, they just banged. Yeah. Good for them. They're both very pretty people. They're hot. He's hot. She's hot. Go for it. I say he's divorced, so they're, like, both single. She has great eyeliner. She does. even better fake lashes. She has very 60s undergarments. Like, cone bra action. I want 60s undergarments if I can look like her. You want your chest to look like it's cones. Do you not? So... Marion Crane, who is played by Janet Lee, is like canoodling with her boyfriend, Sam Loomis, who's like very sexy and he's from California and he's like visiting her. He has like the most perfect hair. Oh, he has great hair and like a jaw and like he's built. He has a jaw? Know? He has a, like a strong, like a man jaw. Like, like I'm so shocked by the jaw. fact that he has a jaw. He doesn't, his face doesn't just end with his upper 
set of teeth, which is really, I mean, that's the sexiest <laughs> thing. Oh, man. If a man has a full skull, mmm, boy. That's why you really weren't attracted to the, the person from The Grudge. Yeah, it was like not enough skull, to be honest with you. Yeah, the fact that she was missing her jaw. Was I was like, like nope. I can't get behind it. Can't get, not unless there's like a tongue cage. Yeah. Anyway, so they're like sexing it up in the hotel room, and he's like, it sucks that I'm divorced and I have to send all my money to my horrible ex-wife. Because she gets that alimony. Oh, yeah, baby, dollar dollar bills. Yep. And uh, Marion's like, what if we just got married? That would be fun. And he's like, I can't get married because of my ex-wife and all of the money I sent her. And also, I'm poor and I live behind a hardware store. So, like, want to move into this fucking hardware store with me? She's like, fine, that's cool. He's like, great, when I send my ex-wife the alimony, you can lick the stamps. And she goes, I'll lick the stamps. And then they make out. Yep. Very sexy. But eventually, she's like, I need to go back to work. And he's like, we can't get married right now. Bye. She's like, okay, whatever. Also, he, like, lives in a different state than her. Yeah, they're definitely long distance. How did they even meet? Not clear. But it makes sense why they need a hotel to, like, yeah. do their business. Yeah. Can't go back to her apartment, which she apparently shares with her sister, Lila. Oh, Lila. And her mother's picture's on the wall. Um, so she goes back to the office. Um, she took, like, a long lunch. But she's happy when yeah, she gets there she because did. her boss is still gone because he's off at a also long lunch. Yeah, and so um, he comes back with a client who has, like, a real great, like, cowboy hat and bolo tie. Oh, my God. And he has some of the best lines in the movie. because he's, he's, like, coming to buy a house for his daughter. Yeah, his 18-year-old daughter. She's never had an unhappy day in any of those years. Nope, because he buys the unhappiness away. He doesn't yes. buy happiness. He just buys off unhappiness. He buys off the happiness. Yeah. yeah. So my He's hitting on her hard. He is. Like, he's like the poster boy for, like, sexual harassment in the office. Oh, yeah. But he does it in, like, that old man way well, where it, like, like wasn't clients considered. clients are not usually considered as bad as people who actually work there because you True. can't really control them and you're making money off of them. True. He but, still shouldn't, but, like... But my favorite line in this, he says, you know what I do about unhappiness? I buy it off. And then he, yeah. like, leans in. He says, are you unhappy? And... She goes, not inordinately. She's, yeah. like, very, like, also, I I'm not interested. Response. Oh. She's, like, sending out the signals that she's, and like, no, I'm good. the other one in the office, played by Hitchcock's daughter... Yeah. She's, like, he must have seen my wedding ring. That's why he wasn't hitting on me. Yeah. It's, like, well... Also worth stating is Hitchcock's daughter makes, like, a great line about just, like, taking tranquilizers. Yeah, because Marion's like, oh, I have a headache. And she's like, I have these <laughs> tranquilizers. My husband was so mad when he found out I took them on our wedding day. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> of course oh, he was. Oh, man. So they're a fun time. Um, but so, And so he pays for this house in cash. $40,000 yeah, $40, cash, cash. Which he just hands to Marion. And her boss says, hey, I don't want that in the office over the weekend. Take it to the goddamn bank. And she's like, okay, can I leave early? Here's a fun fact. If one of your employees is like, great, I'm going to drop off $40,000 in cash and then I'm just not going to come back, they're not going to drop the $40,000 in cash off at the bank. But they are not going to come back. They're, they're not. They're being honest about that part. Yeah, no, that part's true. Um, so instead of going home to sleep off her headache, she decides to, that she's going to take the money uh, and drive up to see Sam and fix all of their money problems so that they can get married and be in love. Yay! And she totally runs into her boss on the way out. Like, she's at yep. a crosswalk, and like, he in her car. And crosses the street and just, like, looks at her, and they both have, like, eyes, eyes. And then she They both, on. like, at first make that, like, oh, hey, how's it going face. And then they're both like, wait, fuck, what? Mm -hmm. Which I thought was really funny. Yup. So she's like, okay, shit, I got to get out of here. So she drives to California. 
She's trying and, to get to Fairvale, California. And then she gets real tired, and so she, like, pulls over and goes yeah. to sleep. She falls asleep by the side of the road, and she wakes up to a cop banging on her window. And he's asking a lot of questions, like, well, what the fuck are you doing here? Yeah. And she tries to explain, like, oh, I got tired. I decided to pull over and take a nap. He's like, well, you know, there are motels for that. And she's like, oh, I didn't think it was going to be all night. I thought it was just going to be a nap. Mm-hmm. And she's acting real weird. She is so bad at not being suspicious. Oh, I think no, it's she's because horrible. she's, like, never committed a crime in her no life. No one in this movie is good at lying. No, they're really not. Because, like, as soon as he shows up, she's like, I need to leave. What do you want? Which is, like, like not how you start a conversation. She tries to, like, put her car in gear and drive away and while he's like, still talking to her. he's like, you can't do that. You need to stop. <laughs> so he starts following her. So she decides to buy a new car because yeah. she has her Arizona plates in California. And, and it stands also out a little bit much. because her boss saw her and can report her car, yep. you know, to the police. So she goes and, again, acts real suspicious at a car dealership. Yeah, because the guy's like, oh, what do you want? She's like, I want to pay you for a car and leave immediately. And he's like, that's not... Normal. How it usually works. And she's like, I don't care. I'm in a hurry. I need to go. But it's weird. So so what I thought was weird is the fact that the <clears> cop <throat> was still watching her at the dealership. Yeah. Like, she knew the cop was going to know the new type of car she got. Yeah, but she's just like, I think, I think, well, he doesn't show up at the car dealership, like, on the property itself until after she's bought the car. But he still sees, like, the true license plate and all that. Just, even from across the street, you can see the make and model. Yeah. And color, even though the movie's not in color, but he yeah. can see the color because he's inside the movie, not watching the movie. <laughs> yes, he is. That's how it works, right? Do they have color in that world? I don't know. Is this just a black and white no world? No one ever references color. They don't. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> so she, like, gets in the car, and the cop is, like, basically right there next to her. So at this point, I don't even know who she thinks she's fooling. And she's like, I gotta get out of here. She is fooling... No one. No, it's obvious. Like, as soon as they talk to that cop, they're going to be like, oh, we know exactly what car she took and where she got it, and also that she paid them in cash. I'm like, he also watched her bike. He knows the exact person to talk to. I mean, like, by the way. Yeah, he's standing next to the person. There is no reason for her to buy that car. That was a really dumb mistake that cost her $700. Yeah. And so she's like, fuck this, I gotta get out of here. And so she continues her drive, and, like, the whole time she's thinking about, like, oh, like, now the cop is gonna talk to that guy and be like... Yeah, you hear, like, voiceover of all the conversations she's imagining in her head. Which I love. And the best one is she hears the, uh asshole rich guy Cassidy and how like angry he's gonna be about the fact that she stole his $40,000 and while she's hearing this she just smiles yeah that the rest of the time she's like fuck 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 and then when she gets to that point she's like hell yeah all right I'm happy about this (laughs) so it starts to rain super heavily and she can't see the road anymore and she's like having a really hard time like not crossing lanes she's like can't drive. I mean, especially in California when it rains that heavily. It rains hard. You can't you can't see shit because no. our roads are not built for rain. No, they're really not. And it's nighttime, so it's like she's fucked. Yeah. Like there's no way she's gonna see it. So but what she does see is a um a sign, a neon sign for a motel, the Bates Motel. And she pulls off to the Bates Motel. And there's nobody down there at like the, the base area, but there is a big house up on a hill. And so she honks her horn until the guy in the house comes down. Which is smart. Yeah. I feel like that's a good idea. Yeah. And the guy in the house is Norman Bates, who's played by Anthony Perkins at his youngest and twitchiest. And, but also, like, sexiest? He is cute. He's real cute. He is real cute. Which, like, I kind of alternated this entire movie between, like, he's real cute and oh god no, and, like, real cute and oh god no. Well, he's, like, he's cute, but he's very awkward, and I think that the awkwardness is kind of like, oh no, you're weird, you know? And so she, like, goes to check in. She checks in under a fake name. She tells him she's from Los Angeles instead of Phoenix. Um, 
but they have like a little chat and he's like going to put her up in cabin one and he's like, oh, are you hungry? And she's like, yeah, I'm going to go to like, you know, wherever. Is there any place around here to eat? And he goes, you know what? Like, don't go to like a, a, a cafe or a diner or whatever. Like, I'll make you food. Come on up and eat it in our in our, in our our kitchen. Yeah. And so she goes. He's going to make sandwiches. Yeah. And so she's hanging out in the office. And they get into this whole really deep conversation. Well, first, he goes up to the house. And she hears oh, him right. talking to his mother, who starts screaming about how, like, there's not going to be some girl you up in You can't bring some house. woman into our house. Yeah, like, I know what erotic thoughts, you know, young men have. And, like, basically the mom's like, I know you just want to bang this girl. Like, you're not bringing her up to my house to, like, have some sexy evening. And he's like, no, that's not really what I want. She's like, no, it is. Shut up. And so he brings her down, like, some sandwiches and some milk. And they sit in his little um, parlor area behind the office, which is creepy as fuck. It's so creepy. Because it's covered with taxidermy birds. Yeah, they're just stuffed dead birds everywhere. That's like his jam. Like, he loves taxidermying birds. Birds specifically. He actually talks about it because he thinks that everything else looks creepy if it's stuffed. Stuffed. Which is interesting because, I mean, spoilers, but he stuffed his mother and then she True. looked creepy. And he's like, oh man, maybe I should only stuff things with feathers. Yeah, and then he only stuffs things with feathers. Not with skin. Not with fur, because hair is fur, kind of. He does heavily imply that he is killing the birds to stuff them, because he's like, it's really cheap. All you need is thread and needles and sawdust, and, and, you know, the chemicals are expensive, but... And so he's definitely taxidermying them himself. Yeah. It's not said that he kills them, but it's implied. Yeah, it's pretty heavily implied. And... And so they're, like, talking... Well, that's when she says, well, you know, a man needs a hobby. Yeah. And it's interesting, because they go on talking, and they're talking about his relationship with his mother, and, like, and does he friends. have friends? And he says, well, a boy's best friend is his mother. Yeah, that part really stuck out to me because when she talks about him, she calls him a man. And when he talks about himself, he calls himself a boy. So clearly something is kind of going on here. Yeah, like, this guy is obviously, like, 30 years old. Like, he shouldn't be calling himself a boy anymore. He's a full-grown man. And He's six foot two. Come on. Yeah, I mean... He's clearly a grown-ass man. Yeah. And so they talk about, like, how, like, everybody gets into their own little traps. And, like, she's like, yeah, I kind of fucked myself over pretty hard back in Phoenix. And she's like, you know, I I don't think that anyone should talk to anybody the way that your mom talks to you. And he talks about how she's, like, a little mad. And he says the pinnacle line of the movie. We all go a little mad sometimes. Which, as you guys will remember from listening to our Scream episode. They quote it. Young Skeet Ulrich. Oh, Quoting other horror bay. I'm going to use the term bay. Horror bay. I like horror that. Bay. Hashtag horror bay. Anthony Perkins is the OG hashtag horror bay. Is he, though? I feel like there are probably other horror bays pre Nosferatu is the original hashtag well, horror bay. he's not. But, like... <laughs> Maybe I mean Henry the Frankenstein. Guy who, yeah, original I was horror about that, the guy who played Frankenstein. <laughs> I don't think he has the magnetism of a young Anthony Perkins. You're right, he doesn't. I feel like there might be like 1940s. I mean, there what probably about, is. Um, Bella Lugosi. Hashtag well, horror bay. Young, the thing is that Bella Lugosi was like in his 40s by the time he really got popular. Are you saying that only young people are attracted? No, to I'm Maggie? just saying that like I don't know. I feel like there's like a, a youthful dreaminess about Anthony Perkins, you know? Are you saying... I, I think... I mean, Bela Lugosi was, like, handsome, but in a very, like, 1920s way. And very, like, 1920s vampire way. Yeah. Is he... A little jowly, you what know? What people... 
does he look like a vampire because he looks like a vampire or because we all associate vampires with Bela Lugosi? That's a good question. I think it's probably a little bit of both. I think they probably cast him for his dark brooding look, but also I think that he really fundamentally shaped the way that we view Dracula and vampires in general. That's a good point. Also, also not on topic for this episode whatsoever. No, but fun fact, Bela Lugosi actually suffered in his career because he only wanted to play sexy guys. And, and by the time he started his career, monster. he was already in, like, his 40s. So, like, there's oh. really only so long that you can make that last. You know, Alan Rickman also started his career in his 40s. Alan Rickman was playing sexy guys up until the very last. So um, so they get into an argument because she basically tells him that he should probably institutionalize his mother. And he freaks out because he has apparently a very strong negative attitude and history with mental institutions. Yeah, he uh, very vividly describes what the interior of a mental institution looks like. Yeah. Which makes me think he's probably been inside of one at some point in time. Probably. It's it's a heavy implication. Um, And so she's like, oh shit, I'm sorry, I didn't really mean to get into all of this with you. Um, But that's when he like says the like, we all go a little mad sometimes line, and it's like, he's really like aggressively defending his mother. And she's like, okay, well, you know what? I think I need to go to bed because I need to wake up in the morning tomorrow and go back down to Phoenix and, like, sort this out because I really messed this up and I'm going to, like, fix it. And she goes to bed. Well, no, she, she doesn't go to well, sleep, exactly. she goes to her room and she's going to take a she shower and She says she's going to go to sleep. Yeah. And he had very specifically given her cabin one. It's the closest in case she needs something. He was going to give her, like, cabin three. And then he doesn't. He's like, actually, nah. And the reason he gives her cabin one is because there is a hole in the wall between the office parlor so and cabin one. So he can watch her... Undress. Well, he doesn't necessarily know that she's going to undress. Uh, actually, if she's going to bed, she still has to change her, like, yeah. days and stuff. Yeah. But There's just, some heavy jerking it vibes. Oh, hell Yeah. And it's funny because his mom was all like, yo, you want to bang her? And he's like, no, I don't. And we're like, oh, yeah, he does. Yeah. Also, he watches her for like two seconds until she like takes her top off and then like runs back upstairs to his house, which is like, oh, yeah, he know what you're doing. Oh, no, I can't do this. I have a boner and I need to leave. I thought it was more like a, oh, no, I've done something bad and I need to like shame myself. He goes up and she's like taking a shower and she's like, you all know this scene. Yep. She's you all know this scene. She's taking also, a shower. She's luxuriously quick question. washing herself. Who steps into the shower and then turns it on? Weird. It's weird. Because it's not going to be hot yet. No. Maybe they have great hot water. I doubt that because it's 1960. True. But you she braves seen it. you a water heater from 1960? They're bad. I haven't because... The shitty ones they I grew up with from, like, anymore. the 80s. <laughs> and those took a while to get hot. But this one's magic, and it's fine right away. So she gets in, and she's, like, rinsing off. And then... Also, the shower stream is coming from two different directions, and one is clearly, like, a hose, and yeah. the other one is actually a shower head. It's like, yeah. there's not enough water. Throw a hose in there. Yeah. But she's still enjoying it. She's very much enjoying it with her fake lashes and all. Until we have this beautiful scene where it's her in the foreground and then the like the sort of semi-transparent shower curtain behind her. And we see a figure come close to the shower curtain and rip it back. And she turns and she screams and the person stabs her and stabs her and stabs her and stabs her and stabs her. And, stabs her and chocolate syrup runs down the drain. Yeah, you see all these little specks of like blood and guts and stuff in the in the tub and she grabs at the shower curtain after the person leaves and falls out of the tub and you see her eye there's like this long close up on her eye and her face and it's just slow and then you see her entire body out of focus but very naked yeah she's super dead and super naked and so we hear like up at the house 
him being like, oh my God, mother, like, what did you do? The blood, the blood. And then he runs back down to the, um, to the hotel. And then he makes it his priority to clean up after his mother's mistakes. Yeah. And he seems like pretty fucked up about it at first. He's like, shit. He's not happy, but he's like, I guess I'll like take him up to the inside of this bathtub. It doesn't take him very long to decide to clean it up. No, he decides real quickly and he's like, I guess I'll just do this. It and he sense. does that shit efficiently. Like he's like, she goes in the back of the car. Everything she has goes in the car. Car goes in the mud. That's yep. it. And he's like, great. Does the $40,000 go into the swamp? It does. Because it's she wrapped, wrapped it up, newspaper. she wrapped it up in a newspaper, and he just grabs the paper and throws it in her bag and like, oh man, shoves it on the. Trunk. And it's funny because later when they're doing all the investigation and stuff like that, they think that the reason why he killed her was probably for the forty thousand dollars, and he didn't right. even know it existed. Had no idea. So like a week later, we catch back up with Sam. Sam, he's writing a love letter to Marion at the hardware store that he works at, which is so sweet. I know he's a good guy. And there's this woman who's talking about how she's trying to buy insect poison, insecticide, I guess, yeah. yeah. And she's like, it has all these ingredients on it, but it doesn't say if it's pain free. And whether you're a man or an insect, I think it should be pain free. She seems like a good person. Yeah, but also, like... She's still gonna kill the shit out of those bugs, but, Yeah. You know. It was just a very interesting conversation that yeah, I thought was a, included in this Yeah, I feel like that's a very Hitchcock thing, where there's just, like, random weird conversations. Yes. Which I really like. I think that's fun. It is fun. So, Lila, Marion's sister, shows up to talk to Sam. And she's like, okay, joke's over, where's Marion? And he's like, what the fuck are you talking about? And she's like, well... Why wouldn't she be up here with you? We don't know where she is. Just tell us and we'll get it all sorted out. And he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And then, like, the private detective walks in. Arbogast. Arbogast. Yeah, so this guy who looks like a stereotypical private detective he's walks in and he's does. like, how about we all talk about Marion? And they're all like, who are you? And Lila had not told Sam about the $40,000, and so the detective does. Yeah. And they're like, we don't want to get her in trouble. We don't want to send her to jail. We just want the goddamn money back. Yeah. And Sam's like, look, I don't know. She never came up here. No idea. Don't know what you're talking about. And so Arbogast is like, okay, I'm going to check all of the motels. I think she's around here somewhere. She obviously came up to see you. I'm going to check everything around, see if I can find her. And so we don't actually see him checking all of the motels. We see, like, a couple little shots of him, like, trying to talk to some people and stuff like that. Yeah, but it's pretty minimal. Mm -hmm. And... We do see him go to the Bates Motel, though. Yeah. And he goes and he asks a couple questions, and he's like, oh, so have you, like, had this woman? He's like, no, we haven't had people in a couple weeks. And then, like, a minute later says, oh, yeah, I had this couple last week. He's like, see, you're fucking up on this story here. And... He's like, oh, I just got so confused. He's like, great, you're probably confused about this, too. Can I look at your books? And so Norman lets him look at the books, and he's able to match the handwriting and see the fake name. And then he's like, oh, no, yeah, I do recognize that lady, but, like, her hair was different, and it's not a good picture of her, and excuses, 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 excuses. But he's also, like, stuttering the entire time. Oh, my God. Can't make eye contact. Like, like obsessively eating candy horrific corn. horrific about lying. He's a terrible liar. Was he eating candy corn? Yeah. That's what he was eating. Yeah, that's the thing that um, Perkins actually added in as a character tick. Very nice. Yeah. And so Arbogast is like, cool story. You're lying to me. Yeah. And so he's like, can I go see, like, the different cabins? Like, will you show me the cabin that she's in? And he's like, yeah, come on over. And so they go outside, and Arbogast looks up the hill at the house, and he sees, like, the silhouette of um, Mrs. Bates in the window. And he's like, oh, who's that? I thought you said you lived alone. And Norman's like, well, that's my mom. Like, she's an invalid, so it's, like, basically, like, living alone. Yeah. And so... 
Bates had invited Arbogast to go with him as he changed all the sheets in all the rooms. And Arbogast, like, catches Bates walking up to cabin one, putting his hand, like, about to open the door. And be like, eh, I don't want to. And moving on to cabin two. So he's going to start with cabin two. And yeah. so he's like, oh, I know exactly what cabin she was in. Yep. It's just all very suspicious. And, like, Arbogast totally baits him into, like, confessing that um, Marion met his mom or, like, would have met his mom. Um, Because he's like, oh, like, you know that, like, if you are hiding her, basically she's manipulating you. You wouldn't be, like, fooled by her. Like, like, I wouldn't be fooled by anyone. Yeah. And he's like, let me tell you it this way. Like, even if she fooled me, she wouldn't have fooled my mother. And he's like, oh, so she met your mother then. And he's like, um, no. And you need to leave right now. And I have to go do a different thing. Yeah. He's such a bad liar. He's so bad. And so Arbogast is like, cool, I want to talk to your mom. And Bates is like, no, no, you have to leave. No, we're done talking. You need a warrant. So it's interesting because throughout a lot of these scenes, Arbogast kept talking about how, do I need to do this or do I need to get a warrant? And Maggie and I looked it up just out of curiosity. At least nowadays, private detectives can't get warrants. Yeah, so there's really, like, he can't do anything. No, he's either full of shit or times have changed in the past, like, almost 60 years. Yeah. Or maybe both. Yeah. But Bates is like, no, you can't come up. You need a warrant. He's like, okay. So he makes a phone call from a nearby payphone uh, to Lila and Sam. And he's like, listen, like, this is really weird. I think that, like, the mother knows something. So I'm going to, like, go up and talk to her. Yeah. So he says he's going to go back up into the house specifically to have a conversation with the mom. So he hangs up and he goes into the house and goes up the stairs. And as he gets up the stairs... The mom bursts out of the door. And stabs him. Yep, and he awkwardly fake falls down some stairs. There's a lot of really good scenes, like really beautifully done scenes. there's also a lot of really bad scenes. It was really very 1960s. And it's interesting because even that scene before the whole falling down the stairs thing was really cool because you start at eye view, and then it like slowly pans up to being basically a bird's eye view. Yeah. Get up the birds. Hitchcock was incredible with his camera work, honestly. He did a really good job. He has job. a very specific method that he likes to use. A lot of long shots, a lot of cool camera movements, which was not common for the time. There was much more stationary stuff was common. Um, and Hitchcock was kind of an innovator in terms of, like, camera movements. He did a really Rope, good job. for example, is shot in... It's intended to seem like it's one long shot, but there's a couple cuts in it. But it's basically, like, four shots. That's so which interesting. Which is crazy. Especially for the 60s. Yeah. Anyway, it's amazing. So, obviously, Arbogast never comes home. Nope. And Lila and Sam are like, something's wrong. So they go to see the assistant, or the deputy sheriff, who's like, uh, oh, that's so interesting that, like, you think he went to talk to Mrs. Bates, because Mrs. Bates has been dead for ten years. And then talks about how Mrs. Bates found out that her lover was still married, married yeah. and so she decided to poison him and commit suicide by taking the same type of poison. And... And her son, Norman, found them in bed together, dead. And so it's all very dramatic. And he's like, you know, your sister's fine. Just get on out of there. But the next day, they're still not satisfied. The detective said that... The actual detective said that the private detective probably followed a lead and lied about it so that way he could, like, rescue the $40,000 for himself. Yeah. But they're like, I don't know. So the next day, they head on up there, and they're going to go check it out. And in the meantime, Norman is like, Mom, you need to go in the fruit cellar right now. And so he, like, picks her up and physically carries her down to the fruit cellar. And she's cellar. like, no, I can walk by myself. And he's like, mm, I don't know, when he drags her down there. Yeah, she looks pretty freaking frail when he's she does. Uh, uh, carrying her. Scoops her up. I wonder why she looks so frail, Maggie. Hmm, I wonder if we'll find out. I don't know. It seems pretty far-fetched. <laughs> so Lila and Sam check into the hotel, and they're like, oh, we're a married couple, aren't we cute? And then they immediately just, like, 
start putting the screws to Norman super hard. Like, they're not subtle at all. They're like, oh, let me see slightest. your sign-in book and also talk to me. Like, Yeah, Sam's real hardcore about how... Well, I need to sign in because this is 90% business. Yeah. And, like, oh, I need this receipt. And he's just being very forceful and not at all uh, subtle about yeah. anything. And then, like, later that day, Lila decides she's going to go up and try to talk to Mrs. Bates. And Sam is going to distract Norman. But Sam's distracting Norman starts off being like, I bet you hate it here. And I wish you, like, I bet you wish you had $40,000. And Norman's like, what are you talking about? And he also, like, know I know about it. Well, he'd found out from the detective. Oh, yeah. That's so true. he was like, oh, shit, I know exactly what you're like interrogating yeah. me about so no one in this movie is subtle Mm-mm. um lila gets up to the house and she's like looking around she goes up into mrs bates's bedroom but nobody's in there obviously however there is a large indentation on the bed it's a big deep dent in this in the in the shape Which, of a like, person lying on her side i've never seen irl like a bed dent quite true like but that. also we don't still use like mostly pillow top beds so i feel like maybe if you had like a like feathers I have a pillow top mattress cover Hmm. Well, lie on your side in it for 10 years and see what happens. Sounds like a plan. Yeah. I'll let you know 10 years from now in our next episode. <laughs> we'll just come record from your bed until then. That sounds lovely. Nice. Oh, man. If I could just do everything from my bed, I'd I think probably you'd get, get sick real of your sick bed of everything. Really yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so Lila's looking around and finally Norman is like, oh, someone is like, you're, you're fucking with me. Like your, your wife, fake wife is like up looking around at the house. So Norman runs back to the house to try and stop whatever he suspects is going on. Yeah. And luckily Lila kind of gets out of the way and goes halfway down towards the basement. Yeah. And she ends up deciding to go down to the actual basement while Norman runs upstairs to check on his mom's bedroom. Mm-hmm. And, and she the, finds Mrs. Bates. Yeah, sitting there. And so she taps her on the shoulder. She says, Mrs. Bates, and she doesn't do anything. And she taps her on the shoulder. And she, like, she's in a rocking chair, but it, like, rolly chairs around in a circle. I think she just falls to the side and kind of, like, Yeah, that makes sense. Turns around. Of, like, turns I think it's the body just her. doesn't have any muscles to support it. True, because, because it's a fucking skeleton. It's a fucking skeleton. More like a petrified mummy person. Yeah, it's a little he mummified. He probably tried to, like, taxidermy her, but it doesn't work in the same way. Not really, no. We don't have fur. No. I mean, I guess we, I, like, if you have hairy arms, maybe you have a little bit of fur, but not no, in the same way. No, but it doesn't way. look right. No. And so then, as she's screaming about that, Norman Bates bursts in dressed, dressed like his like mother. Mommy. And tries to stab her, and then Sam's like, nope. And he grabs Norman, and in the process, like, the dress rips open, and he's just wearing his normal-ass clothes underneath. Yeah. And so then we cut to the courthouse, um, where a psychiatrist takes, like, 15 minutes as, like, an epilogue it's to just explain exposition. everything. It's like, oh, we were gonna, like, finish this movie 15 minutes ago, but test audience didn't get it, so let's explain it for you. Yeah. So you understand everything that just happened. And he walks through, like, he's not a transvestite, he literally thinks he's his mom, he... You know, he killed her and her lover. He poisoned them both because he was obsessed with his mom. He talks about how they found two other missing people in the swamp. And, like, do you have any missing person cases? And they're like, oh, yeah, we have two. And he's like, good, I solved them for you. Yep. And so they're like, yeah, like, his mom basically took over his body forever now. Like, curtains on Norman. And how his mom was really, like, clingy and obsessive after his dad died. And then when his mom got a new lover, Norman felt kind of abandoned in mm-hmm. some ways and so that's what caused him to do the whole poisoning. And he like couldn't handle it and he freaked out. And so then they cut away to somebody like bringing Norman a blanket because he's cold. And it's just Anthony Perkins sitting there with a, there's like a woman's voiceover talking about how like mom, I didn't want to like... The mom's voice. Yeah. Like I didn't want to like you know 
throw my son under the bus. I didn't want to tell anybody that my son did this, but, but like... But they couldn't think that I could possibly do this. And they talk about how, like, oh, look, you have a fly on your hand. Let's show them that you wouldn't even hurt a fly, because we all know they're watching. Yeah. And it's pretty interesting. Yeah, and then it closes with them, like, pulling the car out of the mud. Yep. And that's and it, Psycho. Yeah. And I love it. Would you say that you are Psycho for Psycho? I'm leaving. Bye. <laughs> I'm not ashamed. I, I have would no say remorse. That I'm psycho for psycho, as a matter of fact. So, um, as a little history, a little background of psycho. What they tell us about the history of psycho, Maggie? So it was based on a book by Robert Robert Block, as we mentioned earlier. Um, but the book itself was based on the crimes of Ed Gein, who I don't know if you, as a listener, are familiar with Ed Gein, um, but he was a murderer, but more prolifically he was a robber of graves um he was obsessed with his mother um he wanted to i I don't know if he wanted to become his mother specifically but he definitely like exhumed and then skinned corpses so that he could turn them into like a woman's suit and And also like a lampshade and a lampshade and i think a chair and like a belt he made a belt out of nipples probably oh god yeah there are probably a lot of different horror movies and TV shows that are somewhat inspired by this. Yeah, I think that Silence of the Lambs is also somewhat inspired by I would say definitely, especially the whole woman suit thing. Yeah. I 100% believe that. I was also thinking potentially the Asylum season of American Horror Story. Oh, I can see that, Because I think there's literally a skin lampshade in that. Yeah. If I remember correctly. Yeah. And it's interesting because I I know you were talking, we've been talking a lot about Silence of the Lambs recently. We have, yeah. And you sent, like, a list of, like, other people whose crimes sort of fed into, like, the concept for, like, the the character. Um, And I think it's really interesting because in 1960, most of those crimes had not been committed. They hadn't. Like, Ted Bundy hadn't yeah. happened yet. The he was age one of the, of the serial that... killer really didn't happen until the 70s. Yeah. Yeah. So, but was Ed Gein on that list? I think he was. Yeah, he I was. think he was. He was not... I don't think Ed Gein is technically a serial killer. Did he kill multiple people? Um, I think that he killed two people, but I think that he killed them... I don't know if he killed his mother or not. Um, I don't remember. I would need to double check. Um, but I don't think that he killed... Because, like, to be a serial killer, you have to kill multiple people on multiple occasions uh, with a cooling down period in between. Interesting. And I don't think he did that. Because for the most part, he was just exhuming bodies and then using the skin, which is also very fucked up and don't do it. Yeah. But better than, like, killing people to use their skins. Yeah. I mean, mean, if they're not using it, you know. Yeah. I just want to say that as an official stance for Saturday the 14th, don't skin anyone whether or not they're using it. Eh... No, I agree with Maggie. <laughs> that was a joke noise, for the record. So obviously this is kind of like a little on the gruesome side. A little. But we kind of love the gruesome stuff. We love it. Paramount did not love it. No, Paramount, Paramount was not happy about this movie. As we mentioned earlier, they only did the distribution for this. Um, they thought it, it was too gory. It was too, like, sexual. They were really not comfortable with it. They didn't think people were going to like it. But Hitchcock was like, you know what? I don't care. I'm going to fund this myself. And, and so basically everything, yeah, basically, I think he put in like, I mean, it wouldn't have been a million dollars because this whole budget wasn't a million dollars, but he put in like the bulk of the budget. Like he bought the book rights. He like hired people on. He got the film. Had location. he made big movies before this? I'm not yeah. familiar with the timeline. Yeah, of his he movies. had like um, Shadow of a Doubt came out in 1943. So that was like 17 mm, years before mm-hmm. this. And he'd been making other movies since then, but he, he'd mostly done like things like Shadow of a Doubt, which is more like a thriller and it's not really violent at all. Um, 
North by Northwest, which is... North by Northwest is one of the only other Hitchcock movies I've seen. I think I've only seen North by Northwest, Vertigo, The Birds, and Psycho. Yeah, The Birds is later. um, Oh, and Rear Window. Rear Window is 54. Which was also really I think To Catch a Thief was during the 50s as well. So, like, he'd done other movies, but they weren't really at this level. A studio would probably trust him at this point. I mean, the studios in the 60s, the 50s and 60s, were very, very careful about their images. That's true. And they really just, they, I mean, they thought this was going to, like, be bad news. And it did get some very rough reviews. Oh, like, yeah. a lot of people thought it was super gory, super violent. You found a few of them, right? Yeah. Um, one of them was from Jimson Harmon for the Evening Standard in London, quoted saying, more miserable than the most miserable peep show I have ever seen. Nice. And then another one from Picture Goer in the UK was, Psycho is sicko. Yeah. People were like, this movie's fucked up and we don't like it. Because at this point in time, most movies were still kind of controlled by the Hayes Code or the Production Code, which was a set of rules that were really, they started to be enforced in the 1930s, um, which is why you'll hear like the term pre-code or code. Pre-code movies, you could kind of do whatever you wanted. It was like the early days of cinema. Code was put into action um, in order to limit what you could show on television and in the movies. So like a really, really early MPAA? Kind of. And it was actually basically the same thing is that like you could make a movie that didn't pass the Hayes Production Code. But if you made that movie, it wouldn't get the seal of approval, and it would dramatically reduce the number of places that it could screen. Kind of like getting an NC-17 rating now. Exactly, like getting it. Yeah, but they were much, much stricter in what they could and could not show. Like, you couldn't... Um, show a toilet, apparently. Yeah, that was a big thing for a long That's time. That's so weird. Actually, one of the reasons that there's still so much, like, the idea of, like, bury your gays, that trope, where, like, if, like, a gay or lesbian character is, is in a movie, then a lot of times they die by the end. That is a result of the production code, because for a long time you couldn't show like homosexuality was one of the things you couldn't show unless it was shown to have consequences. So a lot of... Oh, that's interesting. A lot of people who were like making movies for a LGBT audience would throw in a sad ending so that they could have representation of gay characters on screen. So you have a tragic lesbian story or something like that. I would say while it is really super interesting, it's also really fucked up. Yeah, I mean, it definitely... It, it, it really limited what people could do. Honestly, Psycho was very important in terms of dismantling the code. Yeah. Because, like you said, people more or less trusted Hitchcock. He had been in this industry for a long time. And what he did, like I mentioned, is he would put in, like, more profane stuff that he knew wouldn't get past the censors. Because if you put in somebody's butt, and then you're like, okay, take out the butt, but, like, leave the toilet. They might let you. Yeah. And they did. And, I mean, you could say that he's one of the reasons why now you can have, like, a really happy gay relationship in a movie. Yeah. Because he challenged those conventions and won. Yeah, I mean, I I definitely think that to a degree. I also think that, like, you wouldn't have a lot of the horror genre that you have today if it weren't Oh, God, no. He definitely... Like pushed it in a really good way. Yeah, because like for example, the murder scene in the in the in the shower, right? You don't see aside from some out of focus stuff. You don't see real nudity. You don't get any actual visual of her breasts. You don't see the knife actually puncture her. You don't at all. Even you like, don't the knife, see any, I don't think blood, has any blood, blood on her on body. No, it's only going down the shower drain. Yeah, but when people watch that, they still think that they saw like a brutal stabbing. So technically, he obeyed a lot of the rules, but the thing that he created out of it was not something that they ever would have wanted to show. I think it's the idea of kind of what you don't see can be almost worse than what you do see at times. You let the brain fill in the details. And it works a lot better. Yeah. So it's very interesting, and it worked really well for this movie. It did. Also, another thing that, like, was not really explored at this time that he kind of opened the door for is the combination, the juxtaposition of sex and violence. Yeah, because, I mean... 
the woman who dies is the woman who had sex in the very first scene of the movie. And also, the reason that she dies is literally because he's sexually attracted to her. Yeah, and I think it's a little different than, for example, Friday the 13th, where, like, Mama Voorhees actually knows these camp counselors are having sex, and that's one of the reasons why she's trying to kill him is because sex is the reason why her son died. In this case, it's kind of a coincidence that she was, like, a sexual human being and he killed her. It's more that he wanted her, maybe because he could, like, got, like, a sexual vibe from her Mm -hmm. and then killed her kind of to protect himself. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely not as direct, and I think that that's kind of by virtue of it being so early on. Yeah, because I think those other movies were kind of inspired. I mean, this movie inspired a lot of other movies. It did. I mean, you can kind of... I'm sure that there's other movies about people who murder people with knives, but, like, in terms of popularity and, like, overall impact, this is, like, the original slasher movie. Yeah, it's You don't so see a ton of guts, but, like... There's blood, there's a knife that goes stabby, 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 mm-hmm. a la Michael Myers. Yep. Burp, burp, burp. Actually, that's the psycho noise, not the uh, Michael Myers noise. It is, but also... Talk about soundtracks and horror. Oh, it's such a good soundtrack. I mean, now soundtracks are, like, pivotal to horror, right? Because it builds attention. And this is probably the first time that, like, you can sing a horror movie soundtrack. Yeah, it's funny because I think a lot of people think it's, like, cliche at this point in time. But it's literally because, like, you recognize those strings because they're so scary and because they work so well it's in really combination fantastic. with what you're seeing. Yeah. And also, the rest of the soundtrack is beautiful. It is. Intense. Yeah, there was actually a scene towards the beginning, um, and I don't remember exactly what it was, but I remember just thinking while we were watching it, like, man, this is a really goddamn good soundtrack. There's a scene when she's driving up in the car, and she's, like, thinking about all the stuff, and there's a, like, do 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 It's, like, an intense, like, it's almost like anxiety as like a sound. I think it might have been the scene I'm thinking about she was with another person. I think it might have been like towards the beginning when she was mm-hmm. with Sam. Yeah. And it's just really good music. Yeah. So the soundtrack for this movie which we absolutely need to mention um, was done by Bernard Herrmann and he is incredible. He is. I mean like honestly I don't think it would be it would still be a great movie like with or without the soundtrack because it's just a great movie but the soundtrack like really steps it up that level. So very true. But something I really think is interesting about this movie is all of the fucking birds. There's a lot can of birds. Can we talk birds. about the birds for a second? Because there's yes. so many birds. We can absolutely talk about I the really birds. I really want to know what Hitchcock's like, thing with birds is. Uh, I know he's afraid of eggs. I wonder if he's afraid of birds. I, I know my know. grandfather was afraid of birds because he was, like, attacked by a goose when he was a kid. That would have made me afraid of birds, too, I think. Yeah, and so he, like, I think he also watched the birds when he was really young. Yeah. And it, like, kind of scarred him. Then when he was attacked by a goose, he was like, nope, I don't like birds. I'm done. Wait, but now he's a bird watcher. I'm not, maybe he likes them from afar and just not up close. Like, gives him control over the situation. Yeah, I think he, like, thinks they're pretty as long as they're far away from him. I understand that. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah, there's a lot of, there's a heavy bird motif. So obviously, Marion Crane is the name of the main character. Crane is a bird. And we found out just like two hours ago that to bait is a word that is like a bird flying away and like fluttering its wings and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, to like try to leave its perch. Yeah, which Norman Bates never does. He doesn't. He can't really truly bait. Yeah. Um, also. And he could bait me. Ayo. Stop. No, he's really attractive. <laughs> he's cute, yeah. Also, he was, like, in his 20s in 1960, so he's yeah, probably dead now. He is dead, yeah. He died in the 90s. Oh, it's sad. But there is a recurring theme. So we got the Bates. We got the Crane. She's from Phoenix. 
She is from Phoenix. The movie starts with a bird's eye view. It does. Which may or may not be a stretch. Yeah, I feel like that's a bit of a stretch. But let's take it. All right. When they sit down for dinner, they sit down in his room, which, as we mentioned, is full of taxidermy There's birds. so many. And so many. We saw this really cool video dissecting. Yeah, we'll share the link on the website. Yeah, so if you go to our website, we'll have this link up. But this video talks about the fact that whenever Bates is, like, kind of normal, you see a shot of him from above, and there's usually a prey bird in the shot with him. Yeah, so While he'll when, be like, like, there's, when they're having a conversation over sandwiches, he's like petting this like quail or something. Yeah, it's like something that's not dangerous. Yeah, and then when he starts to get like agitated and kind of like his darker side comes out, he's shot from below and above him is this like big owl. Yeah, or like, I think there's like hawks on the wall behind him. There's yeah. a couple different shots where they like But the frame owl him is with... like the one that's like yeah. real prominent in a lot of the shots. Yeah. And then later when he's spying on her through the wall, on top there's that same owl and on bottom there's a turkey and which so is not a dangerous bird showing the difference between like which is he gonna go for is he gonna be more like the owl and kill her or is he gonna be more like the turkey and be like the nice guy and at the end after he looks through the people and watches her he's framed with only the owl in the shot yeah and uh and she is framed alongside songbirds for the most part. So like delicate birds, birds that are going to be prey birds. There's a bunch of framed photos of songbirds in her hotel room. And when she's eating with Bates, he's like, oh, you eat like a bird. He introduces that really weird. It's like he's trying to say that so that he can then talk about birds. Yeah. He likes Which to talk I, about birds. You know, we've to all done To be fair, I like to talk about things and I'll often bring them up, but less, ca- or less, uh, eloquently than he does. He does it in a weird way because he's like, you eat like a bird. And she's like, you'd know. And he goes, no, I wouldn't. But anyway, I hear that that's a falsity. And also, I only stuff birds. And it's like the weirdest, like, it's just like... I need to figure yeah. out how to, like, bring up those conversations about things that I like. And like, oh. You need to get really into birds. Because if you do that, then you have a script prepared for you. Oh my god, you're right, Maggie. I need to learn everything about birds. You do. Also, it is worth noting that three years after this movie came out, Alfred Hitchcock adapted Daphne du Maurier's novel, The Birds. Into another movie called The Birds. The birds. And then another 30 years later, it was adapted into a beautiful movie called Birdemic. Birdemic is a piece of art. That was my metal voice. I don't know if you can yeah. tell. Did it sound metal? It did not sound metal at all. I'm sorry. They do the Birdemic scream, though. It's like there's a metal. It's like, this is Birdemic. Watch Birdemic. I've... I have a lot more experience going to metal concerts than Maggie does. Yeah, I don't have the voice for it. No, I mean, I don't really either, to be fair, but I can fake it you're close a little bit but yeah no birdemic is just a remake of the birds like a weird eco message with it that yeah. has ms paint birds everywhere and it's the really birds funny doesn't really have a message to it it's just birds it's just like you. birds are gonna fuck you up man i don't know what to tell you <laughs> i mean what would happen if birds decided to fuck us up watch the birds they'll fuck you up i feel like anya would save me no no she's too clumsy not from a crow crow's the same size as her what's she gonna do Eat it's it. got a beak she doesn't have a beak. She looks very distressed right now. She's thinking about crows. She's like, shit, dude, I don't know about crows. <laughs> anyway. So yeah, all the bird stuff is super interesting. It is. I love it. I think it's weird. And one thing that I liked about this is that it's kind of the first movie that like draws you in based on the murderer. You kind of see what's going on from the perspective of the killer and her accomplice, yeah. or I guess and his accomplice, because he yeah. was his own accomplice and all that jazz. Yeah, so it's kind of the first time that like you're interested in like the killer. And yeah. I think that that's something that 
I don't think that modern slashers are necessarily, I don't think there's as much like sympathy towards the killer, but outside of something like Scream where you're watching like Sydney over time, you don't watch like the fifth Friday the 13th movie because you care about like whoever's going to get murdered in that. You watch it because you want to see what Jason's going to do and like what cool scary thing he's going to do next. Because the majority of the kids are all going to die. Right. I I will say Scream is kind of an exception to that to a certain extent because of the fact that like Sydney's in every single one. She's kind of a hero. Yeah. Definitely. And I think that, yeah, I mean, I think Scream is sort of... There are ones that have, like, a recurring character that matters. I mean, even in The Grudge that we talked about, like, Sarah Michelle Gellar, I guess, is kind of the hero of the first one, but she dies True, but instantly that's not a in the second movie. one. No, I'm just saying horror movies in general about, like, the last True. person. Like, do you care more about the monster? Do you care more about the person? Like, even in that, where it's like, oh, you might care more about the person, but, like, she dies in the beginning of the second one. You don't yeah, care about the person. You're there you to see how the grudge keeps going. Exactly. And I yeah. think because this was, even though this was the original slasher movie, it's also a very early stage of horror movie. I think it didn't only influence slashers, it influenced more than that. That's definitely true. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, I think it's interesting that Scream is sort of an exception to that because Scream has so many other connections to Psycho. Even the fact that they introduced Drew Barrymore. Considering the fact that like... And then Killer. Both of the original bad guys in the first one die? True. They can't really, unless they're going to pull a goddamn Michael Myers or Jason thing where they just come back, which they can't do. Also, though, would you say that maybe the true killer all along is the ghost face killer and that it's different personalities who are embodying him, even though they are technically different actual humans? No, I would not. And the That's reason fair. why is because it has a different personality Sydney. the entire time. Yeah. And you're following more of Sydney's story and the people who are choosing to haunt her. And it's actually, I think, more about horror as a genre than it is about specific people. And it's yeah. about what is going on in the genre and how can make some sort of commentary on it while also being a part of it. I also do think that it's interesting that, um, like... Obviously, the, the, the connection between Drew Barrymore being killed off in the beginning of the first Scream and then kind of, like, very famous people being killed off or, like, in the opening credits of all of the Scream movies after that. Mm-hmm. Despite all of that, it does still undermine that horror concept that, like, the person dies at the end of the movie or at the beginning of the movie or they, like, they last for one movie or whatever. And it, it lets Sydney live through all of the movies and it lets her be, like, the ultimate final girl because that's not something that Marion gets. Yeah. And we don't really know what happens with Lila. I mean, there's psycho sequels, but, like, I no mean, one cares. Lila lives at least in the first one. Yeah. I presume she probably lives in the additional ones. I, I would hope she comes so, back. but I don't know if the additional ones matter as much. They don't. They weren't directed by Hitchcock. Yeah, so they don't matter. They don't really matter. Meanwhile, in Scream, I will say the first Scream is the best, and Scream 4 is the second best. Scream 4 is so good. It's so good. It goes 1, 4, 2, 3. I agree with that order. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I haven't actually seen 3, but I haven't heard good things about it. I've seen 1, 2, and 4. I've seen 3, and it's like it's okay, but it's like it's so much worse than the other ones that it's like, who cares? Yeah. So I know that we've kind of talked about this like in reference to its relationship with Scream. And we talked a lot about this whole idea on our Scream episode, but it's worth just repeating to a certain extent. I don't know that a lot of people realize this. Um, Janet Leigh was super famous, or, like, pretty famous when this came out. Yeah. Like, she was, the like, billed as the star of the movie, like, along with Anthony Perkins. I mean, if you watch the original trailer, which we did earlier, she's all over it. Yeah. It's, like, her and Norman Bates. Yeah. Um, People did not expect her to die 30 minutes into the movie. Yeah. Or an hour or whatever it is into the movie. People were not expecting that at all. Um, to the point 
and, and this is something that Alfred Hitchcock actually intentionally did. He told uh, uh, um, theaters that were showing it not to let people in late. So if they arrived late, they weren't going to be able to see it because he didn't want them to miss Janet Lee and feel like they were being cheated. Yeah. And at first people were like, that's stupid. I don't want to do it. But they ended up getting like lines like wrapping around their like. Which is awesome. Theaters to go see it. Yeah. Um, and he put out like this whole marketing campaign of like, don't be late. You have to see the whole thing. You have to be there from the beginning. I think there was a story of like a pregnant woman showing up late and the theater manager made her wait in the office until a new showing started so that she could go see it. They were strict about this. But as a result, I mean, that's an amazing twist that people weren't expecting. And now like, I mean, it still is kind of a surprise when it happens to a Dude, certain extent. I watched it with Tim and he's never seen this movie before. And when we got to the, the where the shower scene actually chronologically falls in the movie, he was like, wait, this happens now? Like, That's it so just started. What's the rest of the movie? And I was like, yes, thank you. Yes. He already knew about the whole Norman Bates, Mrs. Bates thing. I feel like it's thing, really hard to live in 2018 and not know that. I can't personally wait until my child gets to see Psycho for the first time. Oh, man. Then they'll be... Psycho about Psycho. They'll be just like me. Oh, baby Maggie. Creepy and... Oh, man. Your daughter's gonna be... God, if I have a kid who's terrifying. like me. Oh, man. I deserve whatever I handed out to my mom because I was weird. I was like just, really into you're gonna have to. Oh, my God. But here's devices. the deal is that you're totally gonna have to do exactly what my mom did to you and tell her, like, the creepiest fucking thing. My mom used to, like, just jump out from behind things to scare me because I was a really jumpy child. So we had, like, a half wall at the top of our stairs. And I would, like, walk up the stairs, and my mom would just crouch there, and she would just wait for me to come out, like, to come up the stairs. And then she would jump out from behind the half wall, and she'd go, ah! And I screamed every time. Even if I knew she was there, I would still scream. She would jump at me from, from behind walls, from around corners, Wherever she could. Well, it's great because when your daughter... I just assume you're going to have a daughter because yeah. I think it fits the sure. snare better. But when she is creepier than you were as a kid, you're going to be even creepier than her mom was. Oh, man. It's going to be a whole line of, like, fucked up family dynamics, I mean, but in, like, a really fun way where you, like, appreciate each other, but just, like, get more and more morbid over time. Awesome. I can't wait. My granddaughter's going to be a little baby Wednesday Adams. Oh, she will be. I know. All right, yeah, I mean, honestly, we could talk about this for a lot longer because Psycho is a really, like, rich, like, textually, like, it's an incredible movie, and it has had an unbelievable amount of impact on the yeah, genre. Yeah, I think a lot of the movies we've covered already wouldn't be what they are without Psycho. I definitely agree with that. I really think it paved the way for more horror films to come out. So the first, like, splatter film, Blood Feast, came out, like, in 1963. So, like, three years years later, later. they were just showing, like, graphic gore and violence. And I don't think that that could have happened without Hitchcock opening the door for it. I think that someone would have eventually opened the door, but he was the right person to do it. That's true. That's true. He was a... I don't think we would have reached our day and age without someone opening that door. Yeah. But I think he did it well, and he made it. And because he did it so successfessfully, it meant that the different studios could be a little bit more lenient going forward. Yeah, and I think that he was a he was a, a very uh, well respected man in the genre or in the in the industry, and I think that that goes a long way. Um, I think he had opportunities that other people might not have had, and I think that that helped quite a bit. Yeah. I think one of the most incredible things about this is that, like, we just watched this movie. I just watched it again, like, a week ago. And it's almost 60 years old. It'll be six years old in, like, two years. But, I mean, when we were watching it, because, again, we watched it right before we started recording this episode, originally I was, like, on my phone a little bit, like, taking notes and stuff as we were watching. And after, like, 
20 minutes, I put everything down and was only watching the television. It's, it's intense. It holds up really well. It does. And it even holds up if you know that, you know, he's partially his mom. And it holds up even if you know when she gets killed. Even if you know everything about this movie... The acting is incredible. The writing is incredible. It's well scored. It's beautifully shot. We didn't really talk a lot about Hitchcock's camera work, but it is very distinctive. Um, he uses the camera in this intimate, intense way that a lot of people weren't doing at that point in time. A lot of people were, you know, keeping the camera in one place, and Hitchcock was like really showing the viewer what to be looking at and really like getting up. Like, I mean, he zooms, he does this beautiful slow zoom out of her eye after she dies. Mm-hmm. Which like I think they actually had to remove a blink or a twitch or something in post-production. But, I mean, just just the, the, the technological stuff that he was doing at this point in time was revolutionary. His concepts were revolutionary. I mean, and it holds up so, so, so well, even all these years later. It does. So that's Psycho. Yeah. It was a really enjoyable experience. I love Psycho. God, I love it so much. I know you do. I love it. I think I watched it for the first time when I was, like, 17. Oh, The Decade of Psycho. I think I watched the remake before I watched the original. Oh, It was one of those things where it was, like, on TV. Isn't that one, like, very faithful to the this to the original version, very but also faithful. just, like, he jacks off in one scene? Um, I don't remember they that. They might have deleted that in the television version. I think I version. watched the television version, so I don't remember seeing then that. Then you probably saw a very accurate remake. It was very accurate from what I remember, <laughs> but also... Wasn't it Vince Vaughn as Norman Bates? Oh and my like, god, wait, was it? It's, I think Vince Vaughn and Hesh as, um, as Marion, and then I think Julianne Moore as Lila? Yeah. Is Vigo, wait, wait, wait. Is Vigo Mortensen um, Sam? <gasps> oh, my God. Oh, my God. What wait. is this movie? Oh, my God. Wait, wait, wait. Sorry, wait, wait. we just looked this up. Vigo Mortensen is Sam Loomis. Oh, my God. <gasps> William H. Macy is Arbogast? Okay, we need to watch this remake. Oh, my God. This ASAP. looks so bad. Why would you do that? And I didn't know who any of these people were yet because I was, like, in my teens. I mean, oh, this came reused, out in 1998. They reused the script, copied most of Hitchcock's camera movements and editing. It is closer to a shot-to-shot remake than most remakes. Oh, my God. No, we have to rewatch this. Holy shit. Yeah. We're going to do a great drinking game Hesh for was nominated for Worst Actress. It received the three Golden Raspberry nominations and one in the categories of Worst Remake and Worst Director. Oh, God. I think most people's reaction was, like, why did you do that? No one wanted that. It wasn't Why did necessary. You do that? <laughs> With like worse actors, and oh, just instead of corn syrup or instead of chocolate syrup, they could use corn syrup. But I think a lot of the like the beauty of the corn of the of the chocolate syrup is that it looks like it looks real. It looks so real. It looks real enough. And one least. of the things that Hitchcock said about this movie is that pink is not scary. Like that's watching true. a little pink blood go down the drain. That's not scary. That's true. You need the darkness and the depth to it. Anyway, that's Psycho. Yeah, we had a lot of fun watching it. I had so much fun. I've watched it two times in the last week, and I would still watch it again tonight. I wouldn't really, because it's almost midnight, but that's fine. Um, So so what else? What are we doing next week, Madeline? Okay, so we've now done two of your favorite movies. I know, we have to catch you up. Well, we did Candyman. We did Candyman, which is great, but for this next episode, we're going to do my all-time favorite horror movie, which is Stay Alive. Oh my god. It is... A masterpiece of the mid two thousands. Frankie Muniz, Sophia Bush, yeah. the Rose Bush. It's an insane cast, and the movie is like simultaneously the best and the worst thing I've ever seen. It's I incredible. bought it on DVD like three years ago. I have made Maggie watch this movie with me so many times. Yeah, more than once, which is a lot. I'm pretty sure on like my third or fourth date with 
my boyfriend, I made him watch this movie because it was a very early, uh, he needed to like it for me to continue dating him. It was too important to me. So we're going to watch that next. And I'm so excited because I can't wait to hear all of your thoughts about it. Oh, fuck yes. I have so so many opinions. I believe that. And just wait until you get to go off about Elizabeth Bathory. Oh, my God. And how historically inaccurate this movie is. You know what? You do all the other research. I'm just going (laughs) to research Elizabeth Bathory. Honestly, I don't think there's that much research to do other than like the weird voice technology that doesn't exist when things don't have microphones. Yeah. Like if your console doesn't have a microphone and your controllers don't have microphones, consoles and controllers don't have microphones for the record, like you're not wearing a headset and you have to speak a prayer out loud and you're like, this must be some sort of new technology on this CD. CDs don't have that technology. It's not how it works. Your, your console is haunted and going to kill you. It is truly this beautiful section of 2000s where it's just like, we don't really get computers, but we also know no one else does. And so. like, we have a lot of really attractive like stars from... Gilmore Girls and One Tree Hill and the OC and things like that that like sex sells and no one understands computers or video games and everyone thinks video games are going to kill the world so let's show them that it literally will. Yeah. So that's what we're going to do next week Um, but we hope that you had a wonderful Friday the 13th and we hope that your Saturday the 14th is going great. So drive safe. Uh, We love you and um, lock the door when you're in the shower. Enjoy your spoopy day. Be good. We'll talk to you next time. Mwah!